Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 22 is our text this morning. And I would encourage you this morning, if you're not in the habit of looking at the insert, I think it will be more helpful to you, given our time this morning. And I'm going to pick up in this extended paragraph, verse 19, and read to verse 22. Just short verses, four verses, and uh, only a pastor can elaborate at length on just these short verses, hopefully not longer than I need to this morning, but hopefully to be helpful. Verse 19, it says, Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you that you have given us the Word of God. You have given us your Holy Spirit to understand uh, the Word of God and also to um, bring us along in our sanctification, that our, our likeness to the image of Christ could be formed and patterned deep within our hearts and so, Father, I pray that we would take courage through this text, that we would um, be, cer- be discerning of, of the Spirit's work in our own individual hearts, and that we'd not do anything that would just limit or abate that, that work that goes on, uh, that we'd be sensitive to what you're doing in our hearts. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week I was listening to a podcast by Eric Metaxas. Eric is... Uh, he does a lot with uh, worldview. He wrote a, a biography of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It was uh, very popular a few years ago. Um, but uh, in this particular episode, as I'm listening, I'm learning about new technology that's on the horizon. And uh, he was uh, talking about, you know, technology that's going to reshape how we view things. And um, I think most of us are familiar with the concept of photoshopping where we, um, we can look at something and we say, well, there's re- that, that was a well-edited photo, but clearly that doesn't correspond with reality. And sometimes it's really good work and it looks so real. And so things are very difficult to, to uh, discern. And so what really perked my interest, particularly in this episode, because photoshopping is not new to us anymore, but he was talking about photoshopping the spoken word, audio, to make things sound as if it's real. And uh, I, as I was listening, I think, I got I to gotta, I gotta go back and look at this up. I was driving, so I couldn't do that. I was listening. And uh, later I went back to look at some of the transcript of what he said, and I wanted to share it with you just because I don't think I could share it exactly how he did it. But he said this, Some of these technologies can even use existing sound clips to create entirely new statements and speeches that were never given. Some of these technologies are so convincing that they're prompting the adoption of digital watermarks that will enable listeners to be able to tell the difference. He goes on, the most ambitious of these technologies don't stop with audio. 
Their goal is to literally put their words into someone else's mouth. Using video editing to project nonverbal cues, such as facial expressions, onto other people's faces. So, he said this. So, a company in China is hoping to use Jennifer Aniston to promote their product. They could use this technology to make it appear as if she's speaking Mandarin, even though she can't. In our, and he goes on, and this is where it becomes very applicable. In our age of fake news, one can imagine quickly the potential for geopolitical and cultural chaos that this technology could create if the wrong words were put in the wrong mouths. Wow. We live in a world where the unreal and the real is increasingly becoming more difficult to discern. And in particular, as it relates to this text, we often have a trouble discerning, like in the first century where Paul's writing, we have at times a challenge to discern the true work of the Holy Spirit, and that's no less difficult today as it was in the first century. And the importance of discerning the Spirit's true work is critical for the building up of a church. Why might that be the case? Because a, if we are diligent, if we're diligent to discern the Spirit's true work, it's, it's, it leads to a peace and a love within the body of Christ. And so in this text, I want us to kind of think through the Spirit's true work and how, you know, how we have to be very careful to ensure that we're not quenching that work and thinking through the application to the revelation of God's Word that we're not despising truth and that we're being very careful with what we hear. Paul's writing here, to a, a, a church that has to sift through. And maybe they had a little bit of a bias, and they had to have a word of warning in, in the process. And so this morning, I want us to think through, and if you have your hand out there, the three aspects that we're going to look from this test, text is that we need to take seriously the Spirit's true work in verse 19. Verse 20 and 21, we need to respond to the authority of, of God's Word and in the last sense, in, in verse 22, we need to disassociate with, with false teaching. And so we have to bear this in mind. I'm going to break this down and explain how I see this in the text here this morning. But the first thing that we need to do is we need to take serious the Spirit's true work. In verse 19, the King James translates this verse, quench not the Spirit. And my translation says, do not quench the Spirit. There's really not much difference there in the translation. The NIV, on the other hand, says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. The NIV inserts fire into the translation, and it may be a little bit misleading. The exact wording of quench a fire is found in writings of Paul's day, but here he doesn't, he doesn't use the word fire, although he could have used the word fire, and it was a common thing to talk about. Instead, he says, don't 
quench the spirit. And he's, he's using a mixed metaphor. Now, Paul's characteristic. And so this, this phrase kind of has the idea of, of kind of putting a wet blanket upon a party. And um, as my wife likes to remind me from Father of the Bride, the party pooper song, you know, that there's a party pooper, and that's why we invited you, John Banks. <laughs> now, it's George Banks, right? Now, it sticks with me all the time. I can't let it go. But that's the idea of putting a wet blanket on top of a party. And Paul here is referring to the Holy Spirit. He's not really referring to him as a fire as such, although I know the analogy works. But he's rather saying here that you can suppress his work if you're not careful. And what is the Spirit's work? What's, what's, what's he doing in the, in the body? And what's he doing here? And the significant thing that he's doing is he's creating peace within the body of Christ. In the whole context, there is this emphasis on building up the body, and the Spirit is working at building peace in love in the body of Christ. And we work together with that, and the Spirit's working there. But I think it's really important for us to understand the broader scope here of the Spirit's work. And I, I hope you can see here, through other texts of Scripture, the Spirit's working. Now, we have to, this is a very narrow scope, but we have to look at the broader view of Scripture to understand the Spirit's work. And the first thing we need to understand is that it is the Spirit who calls you into relationship with the Father through the Son. He's working in conjunction with the other persons of the Trinity to redeem a fallen people. And it is by his, sovereign, by his sovereign power that the Spirit regenerates a sinner and breathes new life into them, and they are born again. And so when that activity takes place, the Holy Spirit frees us from the bondage of sin. The songs that we sang talked about that truth, that we are, the chains of sin have been broken with the with the resurrection. And so Christ, the Spirit, comes into the person and frees them. And we are moved into the body of Christ. And we are now no longer children of the devil. We are children of God because of the power and working of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. It is a life-giving force that enters into our lives which allows us to overcome the spiritual darkness that is, was inhabiting our hearts. And the Spirit is like a wind. Uh, John 3 talks about how the, the, the wind moves, and we don't know how it happens, but we know that it's real because, because we see the effect of it. And that's how we understand the, the transformation of a heart out of darkness and into light. We see the effects of it, and we know. And so... The Spirit calls you into a relationship with the Father through the Son. And Ephesians chapter 1 talks about the various persons of the Trinity and the involvement in that work of grace within our hearts. But the second thing that the Spirit does is the Spirit actively purifies you as you anticipate being with Jesus Christ. 
There is a sanctifying work that occurs. You are justified, but then you are being sanctified throughout your lifetime. And so the Father, the Spirit does a great work here. And I want us to think through this this morning. First is, the first thing that the Spirit does is He cleans us. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God so that we can perceive it and really understand it for being the Word of God that it is. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10, I think is a text that is right there on the wall for you. You can look at it. Um, It's on your handout as well. Where Paul says, but it is written that no eye has seen or ear heard nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And what Paul is saying here in second, uh, the second chapter of Corinthians is how that the word of God was veiled to the rulers who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. They had all of the scriptures, but they couldn't see the person of Jesus Christ for who he was. There was a veil over the scriptures. They didn't understand. But what Paul is saying is that the spirit who enters in us allows us to understand the scriptures and see Jesus for who he is. It's an illuminating effect. And this effect occurs as we connect with the pages of Scripture. This is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to illuminate our understanding. And we quench the Spirit's effectiveness in illumination if we keep the book closed. This is a work that the Holy Spirit does. He illuminates and he he shows us Christ through the pages of Scripture. And if we neglect the activity of reading and, and praying and asking God to show us Christ through the Scriptures, we are potentially quenching a work of the Spirit. And it's possible, too, that we may even miss... We can, we can quench it by not reading it, but we can also quench it by misinterpreting it in a way in which we're not dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Now, while we have the Holy Spirit, it's important for, under, for us to understand that we have to read with a good principles of interpretation. I mean, 1 Timothy 2.15 says that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's, there's, we don't check our brains at the door, but as we examine the scriptures and we look at the, the text, the spirit if, we have, if we're understanding it, there's this, the Spirit's going to show us Christ through it. What do I mean by that? Well, in my time of study in seminary, there were projects and, and research that I had to do in order to prepare papers. And so I had to read very broadly. And I was reading commentators and theologians who denied the deity of Jesus Christ. I had to read and assess their perspective. They have, they came to some legitimate, they came to some, they were reading the scriptures, they were into the grammar, they understood it, but they came to an opposite conclusion of faith. The difference there was that the Holy Spirit and the conservative commentators, as they're reading and they're doing the same principles of of, of interpretation, but they came to a different conclusion about the deity of Christ. 
That was a work of the Holy Spirit. And so it's important for us to to take seriously the reading of Scripture for understanding so that the Holy Spirit can give us the genuine interpretation and see Christ. One theologian, popular theologian today, said it this way. He said, one good, solid, contextual, grammatical argument for what the Bible means outweighs every assertion that the Holy Spirit told me the meaning. Now, that's not a contradiction. That's a compliment. When we open the Word of God, we need to read it in the context for which it was given, and then the Holy Spirit enters in and helps us to see Jesus Christ for who He is. He brings faith to our reading. And so, there is a the Holy Spirit does a work of illuminating the Word of God. Secondly, the Holy Spirit brings believers into increased intimacy with God Himself. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 16 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There is an increased, uh, there's an increased intimacy that, that comes through the work of the Holy Spirit residing within our hearts. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that moves us to communicate to God as our Father. And when we are in the burden and despair of life, it is that impulse and that, that instinct to cry out to God. And we have a God who listens. And so if a believer is growing in their sanctification, they're going to become increasingly aware of the Heavenly Father's intimacy by virtue of the Holy Spirit within their hearts. And by not being prayerful, by not being worshipful, not casting all of our care upon Him for He careth for us, What we are doing is we're trusting in our own resources and we're not leaning upon the Holy Spirit. We're not, we're potentially quenching the movement of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. Number three, the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ and makes us more like Him. In John 16, verse 14 to 15, Jesus said to His disciples about the Holy Spirit, that he would glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify Jesus. See, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make much of Jesus. The role of the Holy Spirit is a lot like John the Baptist. He must increase... But I must decrease. Frequently in the epistles, particularly in Paul's writing, you'll read about the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. Which is a way of talking about the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's a realization that the Holy Spirit's function and role is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And when Paul writes in anguish to the Galatians, he says to them, Look, I am in anguish for you because I, I'm like a, a, a parent who's 
waiting for childbirth, that Christ would be formed in you. And so this is talking about the role of the Holy Spirit to do a work within us to create a Christ image within each heart who calls upon him. And you know, we can quench the Spirit when we focus at times too much upon the giftedness like the Corinthians did. The Corinthians lost sight of what the Spirit wanted most. The Spirit, what he wanted most was to draw attention to Jesus Christ and the fruit of the Spirit being shown in the hearts of the Corinthians. And the cultivation of the, the, the fruits of the Spirit, which are the character traits of Jesus Christ, to take place within our hearts. Number four, the, the Holy Spirit helps believers do God's will. Ezekiel 36, an Old Testament text, anticipating the coming of the Holy Spirit in verse 26 and 27, says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart, uh, give you a heart of... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, let me read that again. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, that is your body, and give you a heart of flesh that's not of stone and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules now we may not always immediately do God's will God's progressive purpose though is that we will do his will sanctification holiness will take root within our life and cause us to do what God wants us to do. We can have confidence that the Holy Spirit will lead us in the objective will of God, but also the subjective will of God as well. Sometimes I think, though, that we can have a preoccupation at times with the perfect will of God if we're not careful as a form of something that we cherish because we want a prosperous and blessed life. And at times we may be falling short of God's goal for us, which is that the perfect will of God is Christ-likeness to be formed within our very hearts. How does this look? We can have very pure motives and want exactly what God wants us to do, and we don't really want to do what we want to do. And decisions in life can still be difficult to make. Sometimes we can be paralyzed in in, in a decision, and at times we can be tempted to put out a fleece. I was talking with a man last Sunday who was caught between two equally valid medical options for someone he cared for deeply. He was simply not sure which one was best. Either decision still requires the same heart response. We must trust God for the outcome. We must trust and we must believe that God wants us to, he'll take care of us in the future as well as he takes care of us in the present. And there's a, that God will guide us and lead us in the way that he wants us to go. We can look for a sign or we can trust God for the outcome. Psalm 143.10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. 
Do we believe that God will direct our paths, especially in areas in which we don't know and can't control the outcomes? And so the Spirit of God works in that, and His sovereignty works in all of that. And, and we heard testimony of that even today, of, 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 of someone who is, who is being obedient, not understanding the outcomes, but yet trusting God for those outcomes. Number five here, the last that I need to, to work through this morning, is that the Holy Spirit empowers our sanctification. He empowers our sanctification. Ephesians three fourteen to 17 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through faith. In no case can we walk obediently if we're not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit in us to do what we cannot do. This is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that we often take for granted, and yet we don't trust and obey. We don't trust and then take a step of obedience. And sometimes the reason that we don't change because we don't believe in the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to do what we could not do or take care of the consequences we can't control. And so we can quench the spirits. Maybe it's that we cannot forgive because we don't trust the Holy Spirit to replace the heart hurt. Sometimes we can't overcome porn because we, we don't believe that the Holy Spirit can replace the desires with something better. And then we don't take step of obedience because we don't, we don't believe. It is faith in the power of the Holy Spirit that is resident within you and then steps of obedience. They must go hand in hand. And so we have to understand the true working of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. We need to understand this because without a proper understanding, we can wander into areas and cause disruption, and we may actually not increase peace and love within the body or in our own souls. Secondly, not only do we need to discern the truth, the Spirit's true work, we need to respond to the authority of God's Word. Well, verse 20 and 21 go right off of this idea, and they are connected thoughts. And I want to just state right here carefully that I understand that there are varying opinions on what a prophecy is. And I'm not going to hide my cards here, but I do believe that... Uh, that whenever the Bible is talking about prophecy, it is a direct revelation of the Holy Spirit that is always connected to that activity. Some hold that prophecy is preaching, but I don't hold to that, that interpretation. I believe that any prophecy that is of the Spirit cannot contain a mixture of truth and error. It is unequivocally true 100% of the time, even if it's not necessarily fully understood 100% of the time. 
And the gift of prophecy is a very powerful gift. And when a prophet in the New Testament spoke, they spoke with thus saith the Lord. And it was an authority not to be taken for granted. And it's really important for us to understand that a responsiveness to the authority of God's Word is critical. We don't want people to be second-guessing the authoritative nature of God's revealed Word. And so we live in a culture where we, we, we talk in certain terms, and we have to be very careful about how we talk. You know, we have to be careful that we're not evoking the fact that perhaps we are a prophet ourselves. Someone gave me a cute little cutting of various children's thoughts that are in and around church. And uh, one of the little anecdotes went like this. A boy was watching his father, a pastor, write a sermon. And he said, how do you know what to say? Well, God tells me. Oh, well, then why do you keep crossing things out? <laughs> do you see that? It's very possible to give the impression that you are saying, thus saith the Lord, when you say that God has told me or that the Holy Spirit has declared it to me. You're putting yourself potentially on the platform of a prophet, and we don't want people to question the authority of what God says. The Bible gives, in the pages of Scripture, tests to help us to understand and assess the nature of a true prophet. And I, for time's sake, I just don't have the time to work through all these texts, but I've, I've, I made sure they were in your handout here this morning so you could see them. And I'll just go through these questions just briefly, some things that we can ask. First, is there consistency of the prophecy with what has already been revealed in Scripture? It's Deuteronomy 20. In the same text, the question goes on, how are we going to know who is a true prophet and who's not? Well, is there an absolute infallibility to the predictions of the future? When they talk about future events, does it come to pass with absolute certainty? Then you'll know whether or not they are a true prophet or not. Or does the prophet acknowledge the deity of and humanity and the forgiveness that comes only through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can look at the texts in 1 John 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 and Galatians 1. And, verse, and the fourth one here is, is the prophet manifesting a godly character? Does what they, their claim to be a spokesman for God is what they, how they live relate to the reality of what they claim? In Matthew 7, 15 to 23, there will be many who will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And then God will say to them, I never knew you. Depart. And lastly, is the prophet seeking to create unity? 1 Corinthians 13 and 14, one of the most extensive passages on gifts of the Holy Spirit, and all of them, Paul says, are relegated and subjugated to the unity of the body of Christ. They're not intended to cause disunity. Now, we don't want to despise prophecy because the Word of God is completely infallible. 
It is inerrant. It is sufficient when God speaks. Doesn't that sound like the scriptures? Because that's what Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 26. He told the disciples that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And he was referring to the prophetic work of the apostle that is contained in the writings of the New Testament. And so we have the remembrances. We have all that Jesus taught us here in the pages of Scripture. And we don't want to become ambivalent to the word of God that we have in our, here in our hands. We need a responsiveness, a heart responsiveness to it. We need to listen to it. And so in our modern context, as we listen to the teaching of the word of God, we have to assess the scriptures and reject what is false and what is not on the basis of that. Number three, number three here in the last point, is to disassociate with false prophets, verse 22. Now, the traditional rendering of this verse is abstain from all appearance of evil. And it's a text that we often hear quoted, particularly when we don't think that something should be done that gives an appearance of evil. While it is good and it's important for us to separate ourselves from the world and things that give the appearance of evil. This text literally, though, says avoid every kind, or excuse me, avoid every evil kind. That's a literal Greek-English translation. Avoid every evil kind. Kind of what? And in this context, Paul is like saying, avoid every evil kind of prophecy. In this context, it makes much more sense to see the primary application of this so often quoted text as fitting into the context of what he's just speaking about. So if the prophecy has not come from the Spirit, then where has that message come from? Where has it come from? It could potentially has come from the evil one. And the Holy Spirit is for peace and love in the body of Christ, not with competing authorities. And so avoid the kind of potential divisiveness, and if necessary, avoid association with those who presume upon their own authority rather than the word of God. It's sufficient. And so what Paul here is saying, I believe, is that we need to discern. We need to be diligent in our discerning. We need to be understanding what the true work of the Spirit so that we're not quenching it, that we can be a vibrant and growing body. We need to be submitting ourselves to the true authority of the words and word of God. And if need be, we need to separate ourselves from those who would claim an authority which is not their own. To give. And so we live in a world. We live in a world of fake news. And it is going to get harder. It's going to get harder and harder to decipher what is true and what is not true. And there is nothing new under the sun. We have always, as human beings, had to deal with this. 
And so we, like those in the first century, we can have a tendency to be engaged with that which appears glamorous, that which appears sensational, that which is prone to personality and impression. And in the end, we may be taken for something that is completely fake. The presentation of the Spirit's true work is the formation of Christ within us and the gospel to the world. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to look also in our own hearts. We need to think through, are we seeing the true work of the Holy Spirit taking place in our own hearts? Is Christ being formed within us? Are we making use of the normal means that God has given to us? Are we making use of the pages of Scripture, studying to show ourselves approved unto God? Are we praying from the heart in a responsiveness that when our heart is going through anguish, are we crying out to our Heavenly Father? Are we flipping through the dials to find something else? Are we desiring to do God's will? Are we really hungering? Are we being responsive to the word as it's been given to us? This is something that we can do. This is something that we can grow in as we wait for Christ's return. The church is going to be built up and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is what's happening now. Let's not quench that activity of the Holy Spirit. Let's participate in it by faith. Let's pray.